all right, we're going to talk about, and they lived happily ever after. They lived happily ever after. What, uh, what are some of the famous or your favorite uh, fairy tales? They live, anybody want to shout one out that you like? Little Mermaid. Is that a... Okay. All right. Snow White, Cinderella, Princess Bride. Does that end happy? Does Princess Bride end happy? Okay. All right. So, you know, here, what, you know, what does this have to do with anything? They lived happily ever after. You know, the Bible likes happy endings. I like happy. Some people get upset, actually, when a book is written or a movie is done and it doesn't have a happy ending. Sometimes there's just like this very loud outcry against it. My wife loves happy endings. We'd been married like less than six months and we were watching the movie, The Day of the Dolphin with George C. Scott. Has anybody ever seen The Day of the Dolphin with George C. Scott? Anybody? One, two, three, three people. Oh man, it ends on an extraordinarily sad note. Obviously he's like this dolphin trainer. He's down in the keys. He's doing all this experimentation, but he loves his dolphins and it ends with his dolphins and they're swimming down the beach while George C. Scott is running down the beach and they're like crying out in dolphin language, you know, to, to him. And I'm just watching the movie on TV, thinking nothing of it. And Krista just starts crying uncontrollably, upset. It's a terrible movie. Just really just sobbing. And so at that moment, uh, and I hope God forgives me, I lied. I said, Krista, there's a part two. It's a part two. And they get the dolphins and everything is nice and happy. And it's just wonderful. It's part two, Day of the Dolphins. So anyway, uh, what does this have to do? With the church in the book of Acts, it has absolutely everything to do with the church in the book of Acts. Last week, we saw this. We caught up with Paul. He was in Acts chapters uh, 21 and 22, and he was headed like he's just rolling towards Jerusalem, and nothing was going to stop him. People were saying, turn back, go, go back. You cannot go this way. You're going to have, you're going to have trouble. You, you have to turn. He, he's not, he's not turning back. And why? We talked about the fact that he was a person of powerful influence because of two C's in his life. Two things that began with the letter C's. Anybody remember those two all important words in Paul's life? Anybody? Letter, letter C. Conviction and Compassion. He was a person of conviction and compassion. And people who make a major difference in this life we see throughout history are people with strong convictions and strong compassion. And he has it. So now he's in Jerusalem. And there's trouble breaks out in Jerusalem. So let's just read it. Acts 24. It's on your, uh, it's in your Bible, of course, but it's also on the back of that uh, bulletin. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is the ringleader of a Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify... That no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. And now here is how he sums up everything of the entire case that's against him. He says these words, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead 
that I am on trial before you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all the tremendous insight that it gives us into life and understanding it brings us. Jesus, we thank you for what we really think about this week, how you rose from the dead. Now, help us in these next few moments to understand how that should impact our lives every single day. In Christ's name, amen. The importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in the church, in the book of Acts, the importance of that can never be overstated. It is huge. Very important. It is central to their belief. Everything hinged on the resurrection. Now, today, we talk a lot about the cross of Jesus Christ, right? We have crosses around our necks. We put them on our steeples. We, we talk about the fact that I am so glad that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He took my place. We talk a lot about the cross. And they talked in the church in the book of Acts about the cross as well. But they talked far more about the resurrection of Jesus Christ than they did the cross of Jesus Christ. They gave their attention. So when they remembered the cross of Christ, they would celebrate it by communion. We do that same thing here. How did they remember and how did they honor and how did they celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Does anybody want to venture a guess? Just a wild, what do you think? What do they do? Party? Okay. Anybody? We're doing it tonight. Baptism. Baptism. So the way they, that this is why you read over and over in the church in the book of Acts about the baptism. And X amount of people received Christ as Savior and they were baptized. And there was a big celebration baptism. And so this is the way it was honored. Tonight we'll do that. We will honor the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6. So all those who are in Christ have been buried with Christ, Romans 6 says, and have been raised from the dead, just as Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And so baptismal service was a time of celebration, of great honor, and we remember and we give honor to Jesus Christ for what he has done. So if you're free tonight at 530, we always have a wonderful time. This is the way the church in the book of Acts and we today still honor what Jesus Christ done. Baptism. So this is so central 1 Corinthians 15, 7 says it this way. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. Useless. This is the thing. Resurrection. This wasn't something in the Bible that's just like an add-on. Like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, I believe a lot of stuff about the Bible. I believe a lot of stuff about Jesus Christ. You know, resurrection, just one of those things. Oh, no, 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 no. No, this is, this is the whole game. This is the whole shooting match. Like if this thing has not happened, everything else hinges on. If this thing has not happened, then everything else is useless. So what we need to understand right from the get-go is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was totally central. Twelve times in 28 chapters in the book of Acts, they're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has a major impact upon their life. Their lives are transformed after the resurrection. You see them before the resurrection, they're fearful and they're running away from Jesus and they're denying Jesus. And then after the resurrection, when they're facing persecution, like when they're beaten and flogged and stuff like this, we're told that they were happy. Like they left and they said, oh, we think it's weird. We counted all joy that we had an opportunity to suffer. What's up with that? How could they do that? 
This is what we want to talk about this morning. So um, this is going to be a two-part message. And it's, it's this. I'll conclude it next week. We want to take kind of an academic look at this. Just, you know, not so much the experience. We just want to really take a strong academic look. And I said this in the first service, so I'll say it here again. Last week I was in a, uh, in a Next Step uh, luncheon with a bunch of people from Grace. And what I shared with them is Arlington County is the smartest county in the United States of America. I don't know if you knew this. Per capita, there are more advanced degrees in this county than any other place in our nation. So what you are this morning are the best and the brightest that our nation has to offer. You, 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 you are it. Very exciting. Okay. So I would be afraid of doing this anywhere else. But because you guys love to learn so much and you're so smart, I have no fear about this whatsoever. Okay. Here's the next thing. Does anybody like CSI or NCIS or Sherlock Holmes? You have a hand up there already. Do you, do you like that? You like the mentalists and things like that? You like being a detective? Okay. What do detectives look for? They look for details. This week, we're going to look for, like a detective, we're going to go in and we're going to take a look at what is missing from this story because there's some really important things that are missing. And next week, we're going to go in like a detective and look at what is there. So we're going to build our case today on what's missing. Next week, what is there? What do we have? So here we go. The first thing that we see missing, and it's on your outline in the back, you want to write this in, is there is no debate. This is very strange that there's not a debate and there's not a controversy in the church and the book of Acts or all throughout early church history. There is absolutely no controversy. There's no debate. There's no discussion. There's no people saying, are you sure that Jesus was raised? Are you positive that that happened? Right. We see this nowhere. And it's very, very striking. It was so central to their belief. And they talked about it all the time. It was completely revolutionary. And yet nobody is debating about it. And everybody think about this for a second. This, this is where it's so important to be a detective. You've got to go back 2,000 years. You've got to get into that culture. You've got to get into that context. And that culture and that context was very much about debate. They were very much about discussion. This is what they did. It was said that if you had four disciples in a room, you'd have five different opinions. Okay? They love debate. They, they live for it. This is what they did. And we see that this is what they do. They talk about what can you eat, what can't you eat, should you follow the Old Testament laws, should you not. They talk about circuit, the first major church council, Acts chapter 15, all about They get it. It's not, they're not shy. They don't shy away from debate. And yet you don't find one debate about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why would that be? This is extremely odd. It's because it was a foregone conclusion and there was overwhelming proof. Let's look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this. Paul writing, I passed on to you what was most important. All right, that's really important. He said, here's the most important thing you need to know. And what has also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, and on the third day, as the scripture said, he was seen by Peter. Now, here we go with the naming of names. It's really important. Somebody ever tells you something, right? Somebody says, hey, you know what? People are, people are talking bad stuff about you. You know, people complain. There's people, people. People got problems with you. And I hear this all the time. Drives me crazy. Please, if you want to complain to me, please don't ever come and complain about something going on in church and say, hey, man, people are talking. Give me names. I want to know the names. It's, you never get anywhere when people say stuff. If somebody comes and complains about something, just say immediately when somebody says people, say, who? 
Give me an A. So here's the thing. When somebody comes, they say, oh, people, people, no, no, give me a name. And this is why the Bible starts naming names. And it gives you all these lists of names, these people who actually witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ. So he says, all right, uh, he's seen by Peter. Then he's seen by the 12 apostles. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. It's a big group of people. And here, here it is, most of whom are still alive. So why does he include that? He says, okay, if you don't, if you have a question about this, you can go over to Sally and Harry or whoever, because they're still alive, and you can say, tell me about this. You get firsthand, most of whom are still alive, though some have died by now. Then he was seen by James, Jesus' brother James, and later by all the apostles, and last of all, I saw him too. Here's the thing. It is very striking that there's absolutely no controversy about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a culture that loves debate and controversy. It's just very odd. So if you're a detective, you're like, this is very odd. Here's the second thing. There is no context. No context to this. So people who will come along and say, ah, man, this seems a little bit crazy. You know, this happened. I think that the disciples or the early church just made it up. So everybody knows about resurrection, and so they just say, well, Jesus was resurrected, presto, bango, there we go. All right, here's what you need to know. There's absolutely, and this is a historical fact, everybody, there is no context to resurrection whatsoever. So if they made up the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they made up the idea of resurrection altogether. Here's what I mean. People would believe that the end of the world, when the world was destroyed, that people's souls would be resurrected. Absolutely, there is zero evidence ever. N.T. Wright, who is a New Testament scholar, who has thoroughly studied this, he didn't start with the Bible, he started with history. He tried to find some trace where somebody is talking about the resurrection of a physical body. We're not talking about Lazarus rising from the dead, right? You read the Bible, Lazarus rises from the dead, he dies, right? Everybody Jesus heals from the dead or whatever, everybody's dying. We're talking about not just a soul. We're talking about a physical body and a soul. We're talking about somebody rising from the dead to live for all of eternity. This is something that was unheard of. So if it was made up, they made it up out of thin air because they had no context to make it up. And where you see this so clearly is how Jesus is constantly saying, hey, I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day. Look, Mark 9, 31. The Son of Man, Jesus talking, he says, the Son of Man, he calls himself the Son of Man, is going to be betrayed. He'll be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. Jesus Christ said this over and over and over again to his disciples. So if he said it to Peter, James, and John, everybody, and he said it over and over again, can you tell me why on Sunday morning they weren't sitting in their lawn chairs as the sun comes up out in front of his tomb? Why weren't they there? Because they had absolutely no context to grasp what Jesus Christ was saying. It made it didn't make any sense at all. It was like Jesus was speaking a foreign language. Let me, get, let me give you an example, okay? I have a, a, a friend of the family. She's a, an older lady. Her name is Maudie. Maudie used to, many years ago, come to Grace Community Church, okay? And I introduced Maudie to a friend of mine one day, and his name was Raul. Maudie had never heard of a name like Raul before. Didn't know many Latino people, had never heard the name Raul. And I said, Maudie, here's my friend, Raul. And she looked at him and I could see this look come across her face like she had no idea what that was that I just said. And she just said the only thing that made sense to her. She said, hi, Rolades. <laughs> I said, no, no, 
Uh, sorry. <laughs> Marty, this is my friend Raul. Raul. She said, El Dorado. <laughs> the Cadillac, El Dorado, right? She's heard of Rolade. She's heard of El Dorados. And I said, no, 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 come on. Raul. Say it with me. Raul. She says, Geraldo. Geraldo. Why, why, why couldn't she say Raul? She had no context. It was a foreign language. She'd never heard something like that before. You have to go back to your context. When you hear something then, and you already have some kind of context, you can hit the ground running. They had no context for it. You understand? This has not been heard of. This is very odd, everybody. So if you're going to say, oh, well, they just made it up because, you know, everybody knows about resurrection. They did not. Historical fact. They had no, they had no context to that whatsoever. All right, let's move on. All right, here's, all right, look. The third one is this. There's no men. There's no men there. Now, now you're going to say in, in, in our culture, and we've got to get you out of our culture for a second. We've got to get you out of our world. You're going to say, our culture, oh, big deal, man. Well, who cares that the women were the first one to witness the resurrected Jesus Christ? This is a really big deal, everybody, in their culture. This, a big, this was shocking. This was shocking. This was earth-shaking that the women were the ones that witnessed the resurrected Christ in their culture. Let's just read it, Mark 16. Mary Magdalene, Salome, and Mary the mother of James went out and purchased some burial spices to put on Jesus' body very early on Sunday morning. Just at sunrise, they came to the tomb. On the way, they were discussing who would roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. But when they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, a very large one, had already been rolled away. Why would this be so shocking 2,000 years ago? Because a woman was not allowed to testify in a court of law. She could not give witness to anything. Now, here's, here's what I always fear when I'm getting ready to talk about what I'm getting ready to say next, is that uh, some person, more likely a woman, is here, and your mind is drifting, you're thinking about your to-do list, and all of a sudden, in the next few seconds, I'm going to say something, and you're going to wake up, and that's the only thing you heard, right? And you hear it out of context, and you're going to get very angry at me. So uh, I'm telling you information. I'm telling you things I believe, okay? All right, you'll understand when I say the next thing. So... Uh, there's a Greek philosopher, second century, anti-Christian, all right, very much anti-Christian, and he would he said this, all right, just 70, 80 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, we all know the resurrection is not for real because it was witnessed and testified by women, and we all know women are hysterical. Okay? So I didn't say that. If you're just waking up right now, I didn't say that. I just said that, quoting somebody else. I'm just trying to let you know it was into that culture. So when it says that this is, this is the foundation of it is testified by everybody, you've got to know that this is shocking. It's strange. There is absolutely no reason. If the early disciples or the early church is making this story up, they are very stupid. The only reason that you write into the story that the first people to witness the resurrected Jesus Christ, there's only one reason to put it there, and that is if it is true. Because if it is not true, you're utterly dumb to write it into the text. Because a woman could not give testimony. To any, it's just extremely, extremely strange. All right, let's just do the last one. There's no tomb. There's not a tomb. And a world that venerates People who have passed on and a world that enshrines tombs of people who are considered holy. In that kind of world, we find no tomb. Our world, our world today, we're less than a mile away 
one of the most honored sites in the United States of America. What's it called? Right. And what is that? What tomb is there that 24 hours a day is guarded? Right. Big deal. Of the four major religions in the world, the four major religions in the world that are founded on a founder, that are based on a founder as opposed to a system of ideas, right? All those tombs but one are enshrined and venerated. So who is the fa- who is considered the founder of Judaism? Abraham. Thank you. Abraham is. Where's his tomb? His tomb's in Hebron. His tomb's in Hebron. And people... Thousands of people. I've visited Hebron before. I've been to his tomb before. Buddha. His tomb is in India. Thousands of people. Millions of people visit Muhammad's tomb in Medina. But there is no tomb in a culture that does this. No tomb. When I was in Israel about a decade ago, we're on a big tour bus and we're right outside the walls of Jerusalem. And the tour guide has the whole bus stop. And we were in a hurry, so we couldn't actually get off the bus. And he has everybody go to one side of the bus and look at this. Look at, see, you see all those flowers and all those rocks? They would pile up rocks on top of this grave. So you see all those rocks and those flowers? You know what they're doing? It's Oscar Schindler's tomb. That's his grave. Now, he'd never claimed to be a holy person. But he was special. And so even, so that culture is, so tell me in a culture, in a culture that highly celebrates and venerates and enshrines a tomb, why is the tomb of Jesus Christ not enshrined? It wasn't like they didn't know where it was. They knew exactly because we see them on the morning. They're all running. They're taking They had to get directions. They knew exactly where it was. And it was prophesied that he'd be, he'd be put in a rich man's tomb. So look at this. And so uh, Isaiah 53, written 700 years before it takes place, it says, he did no wrong. It's a messianic prophecy speaking of jesus he never deceived anyone he was buried like a criminal he was put in a rich man's grave here's how it was fulfilled matthew 27 as evening approached this is on good friday 2000 years ago joseph a rich man from arimathea who was one of jesus's followers went to Pilate and he asked for jesus's body and Pilate issued an order to release him joseph took the body and wrapped it in long linen cloth he placed it in his own new tomb which had been carved out of the rock Then he rolled a great stone across it at the entrance as he left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting nearby watching. They knew exactly where the tomb was. It'd be one thing to say, oh my goodness, you know, if they didn't know where the tomb was. Or let's just say this, maybe Christianity at this point, you know, uh, right off the heels of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was some kind of little podunk religion and they just couldn't get around to it. There wasn't enough followers. But see, that's not the case. Because Christianity, according to all history, according to all history, not just church history, exploded after the resurrection. I mean, totally took off like gangbusters and took over the entire Roman Empire within a couple hundred years. It wasn't some little podunk religion. It wasn't like they didn't have people who could. And you don't see them running back to the tomb of Jesus Christ to enshrine it. Why not? Because he wasn't in there. So in a culture that is really given over to that, they don't do it. And this is just very, very, very odd. You might remember about six, seven years ago, an incredible archaeological find took place. It was the first physical proof that we have that connects us to Jesus Christ. A bone box, which is called an ossuary, was found. And on the box, it said, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. Does anybody recall that? Anybody recall that when that happened? James. So, so it came out, and of course, everybody in the church was just ecstatic. This is a huge, 
it's tremendous, tremendous evidence. It was on the heels of that almost. And almost immediately it was said, oh, this is a complete forgery. And I remember, man, it was just like somebody just hit me in the gut that day. I felt so bad. I thought, oh, my goodness. We had this huge, this is a big thing. And immediately, ah, uh, things totally forged. And that, the forgery publicity was like ten times the size of the other initial finding publicity. Just a couple weeks ago, that trial ended. It was a five-year trial, a five-year trial in Jerusalem. It's major. Only one reporter covered the whole thing, right? It got huge press. Oh, yeah, a bunch of people from the church have, you know, whatever, right? And then it all died out. So five years, experts from around the world. You know what they found? No forgery whatsoever. They were right. One of the things that's incredible as we read through the Bible is the Bible, as we get better at our reasoning and our thinking and we get better at science and archaeology, the Bible does not get fuzzier. It gets clearer. It gets clearer and clearer and clearer. And I want to end on this point by talking about this. They lived happily ever after. What exactly does that mean? And how does that pertain to our lives today? We see that the church in the book of Acts, severe persecution with a big smile on their face. You ever been going somewhere? Maybe you're going out on a date and you're really excited about it. I'm hesitant to use that as an example because some of us have been on bad dates and so I'm conjuring up bad things. Please get over that for a second. Let's just pretend it was a good date, all right? Or you're getting ready to go on vacation. You're going to go somewhere you're very excited about. And there's all kinds of work that leads up to it. Like we, when my family goes on vacation, it's like hell week, right? So there's, there's no sleeping. It's round-the-clock working, just trying to get everything ready to go. But you know what? I don't get upset. I'm happy. You know why? Because I'm so excited about where I'm going. You see the same thing there. Because of the resurrected Jesus Christ, what it meant to them tangibly, tangibly, everybody, that they were going to live happily ever after because what Jesus Christ had done by being raised from the dead. Jesus Christ. We have been on exile from the garden, from paradise, ever since things went south with Adam and Eve. And what Jesus Christ has done here through the resurrection is he's, he's paved the way for us to return from our exile. You think about this, the Bible, everybody, the Bible, written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different languages, one consistent theme, and constantly dots for us to connect together that make it nice and simple when we begin to really think about that. So I want to take you all the way back to the beginning. I'm going to try to do this real quick. So you see in the beginning of time, there is a garden. And you have Adam and Eve there in the garden and everything was perfect, right? There was perfect health. There was perfect safety. All relationships were right. There was no fear. There was no fear with, uh, you know, each other, Adam and Eve. I mean, they were just naked and happy, right? And then you had no problems with the animal kingdom. It wasn't like dogs were biting them or they're jumping in the river to have a swim and a crocodile is dragging them under. There was no tornadoes. There was no hurricanes. Nature animal kingdom, the relationship with God, everything was perfect, everything was provided for, everything was safe. It was absolute paradise. And then there was failure. Then there was disobedience and there was failure and everything went horribly wrong. Horribly, horribly wrong. There was lack, there was fear. The very first emotion that came out was fear, immediately followed by shame. And they're naked and they're hiding. 
for what's going on. And they're running away. And you see here, as, as they, they suffer, you know, the consequences for their sin, we're told that they were banished. They were exiled from paradise. They were exiled from the garden. And we're told in the scriptures that an angel stands with a flaming sword at the entrance of the garden and says, you can no longer enter here, the sword of justice. There is a deep longing in all of our hearts for paradise. This is throughout all humanity, throughout all ages. We desire to return to a place of safety. Where did the desire come from? Where did the desire deep in all of our hearts come for paradise that there be perfection? Because we don't see it anywhere. We have we, we don't have a context to put that in, do we? Because that's not been any of our contexts. We deal with suffering and pain and hurt. So where does that come from? What I want to suggest to you is it comes from God. Here's the thing. This is kind of philosophical. I would be fearful, but we already know how smart you are. So here we go. We have to have water. We have to have water or we will die. And you know what? Water exists. We have to have food. And it isn't amazing that something called food exists. We have to have air. And isn't it amazing that something like air exists? So if you follow that, that philosophical thinking, then when we yearn and we cry out for paradise to be regained, you know the reason we do that? Because God put it in our hearts, and it's because paradise actually does exist. It's not a dream. God put it in our hearts for paradise, that we will return to paradise one day. Now, listen, we don't all sit around thinking about paradise all the time. We're not a bunch of daydreamers, but we think about it from time to time. You know when it hits home to us? It's when something goes horribly wrong. When there's some kind of suffering in our life, whether it's on a personal level or on just a whole huge group of people. Like September 11th. Oh, my gosh, we're yearning for a place of peace and of safety once again. When we are hit with it, man, that deep longing that God put in our hearts, it just comes screaming out. I had something terrible happen to me this past week. Actually, last Sunday night at about 7 o'clock. My daughter, we were home in the basement. She's doing this little gymnastic move. And she fell perfectly the wrong way, and she broke her arm. I was right in front of her. She got over it very quickly. She never got hysterical. Her father, another story. (laughs) I'm right there. I heard her bone snap, and I looked at it, and it was bent. And I just immediately grabbed it and held her, and then off to the hospital. It is terrible. Flashbacks all week long. This morning. Waking up, flashing back still about it. It's just absolutely terrible. Let me tell you how I reacted from that. Deep within me, a very strong deep within me, I wanted to lock her down. Like, we're going to get a bunch of tanks and put them around the house. And I'm going to create a zone where there can be no pain ever again. All right? I mean, it was really strong. Krista had the exact same reaction. Longing... For paradise, where there'll be no pain again, no hurt, no more tears. I don't have to look at my daughter who's like when she breaks it. Oh, dad, I'll never forget what she said. It hurt me so deeply. And I said, I've got to get to that place. You know why? Because God put that in me. Because it really exists. Just like water and air and food exist. It's the same thing. Now, everybody, last point. Think about this. Everything begins in a garden. 2,000 years ago, Thursday night, this Thursday night coming up, 2,000 years ago, where is Jesus? 
He's in a garden. He's in a garden of all places for him to be. He's in a garden. And what happens in the garden? What happens? Everybody runs away from Jesus Christ in fear and in shame. Remember the nakedness of Adam and Eve? Remember that? Okay. Well, in the gospel, Mark, we're told that there's one young man who had been following Jesus Christ. And a soldier tried to grab him. And he was so afraid that the soldier grabs his robe and the young man just runs away naked in fear and in shame like Adam and Eve exiled from the garden. And when all the dust settled, there's only one person left standing in the middle of the garden. And his name is Jesus Christ. And there's swords there, swords of justice. And Jesus says, I will take the sword of justice on your behalf so your exile can end. It is absolutely amazing. The brilliance of the Bible letting us know that our exile is over and we can return again to paradise. You know what the Bible says? It says there's coming a day when we return, when we all return from that exile, that the lion will lay down from the, with the lamb and that all of nature that's in disarray with hurricane, all that will end. Our problems with each other will end and there'll be paradise all over again. That's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you never say, hey, Jesus, Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart and be the Lord and Savior of my life. Jesus Christ wants to end all of the exile that we, have, we are going through. He wants to end it for us. That cry is in our hearts. And it's because paradise is reality and we can respond to that by responding to the gift of Jesus Christ for salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, that your word is so powerful and it's clear and it's brilliant and it meets our needs. I thank you for the reality of paradise and that, Jesus Christ, you have come to end our exile. Father, for anyone here who's just really thinking right now about accepting that offer to end exile, Lord, I just pray that you would help all of us who are debating about that at this moment to cross that line of faith and to accept this gift. You know, as we're all just here praying, uh, maybe you're like, well, what do I say, John? How do I do that? And it's something as simple as this, the prayer that you pray. You would just say, Jesus, uh, I want to I end my exile. Forgive me of my sins be the Lord and Savior of my life. God bless every single person this morning who who has prayed that prayer in their hearts to you. Fill us with joy for what this week means, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In your holy name, amen.